Welcome to the Fierce Fiduciary Podcast. This podcast focuses on financial planning and investment topics. Our goal is to help you make better financial decisions. We are fierce advocates of fiduciary advice. What does fiduciary mean? It means that anyone who advises you should always put your needs first. We hope you get some value from this episode. Thanks for listening. Standard housekeeping, anything on the Fierce Fiduciary Podcast should not be considered individual financial planning or investment advice. For that, we recommend you consult your own properly registered and licensed professional. Welcome back. This is episode 31. I'm Brian Beasley, and with me again is Dan Albert. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. One of the more common questions and, and inquiries we get is regarding uh, doing something for their children or for your children. If you've got children or grandchildren, um, is a very common question. I have some money. I want to do something nice for the kids, but I don't want to buy them toys. I want to give them something other than a check. I'd like to create some sort of an investment account for the benefit of some children, whether it's your children, someone else's children, grandchildren, what have you. What we're going to do today is tackle a little bit of that, focusing primarily on the different types of accounts that one could invest uh, for benefit of children. The simplest type of account is called, uh, is commonly known as a custodial account. You might see uh, the, the letters UTMA, U-T-M-A, or UGMA, U-G-M-A. That stands for Uniform Transfer to Minors Act or Uniform Gift to Minors Act. And those are the simplest types of accounts that can be in the name of a child. So what exactly is it? You, like we just said, this is an account that literally is under the child's social security number. So they are the legal owner of those assets once that money is deposited into that account. It is not meant to be a slush fund for mom and dad to also access to pay the bills. It's just, This is the child's money. And the account is managed or under the control of a named custodian, typically a parent, until the child is an adult and state by state that age varies some states it's 18 years old some states it's 21 years old just it depends on the, the where the child resides so what are some good things and and considerations of this type of account so one on of the, the benefits of this type of accounts is that it's generally taxed at the child's tax rate which in most situations is going to be lower than the adults because there's no earned income. So that is one of the benefits of having this type of an account. Another benefit to the account is you have a lot of investment flexibility. Yes, you can open up an account like this at your local bank and it would function like a savings account, but you could also open it up at a brokerage office or a custodian like a Schwab or a TD or a purging or some other brokerage account and then, um, or brokerage firm. Yeah, pretty and much you, any financial institution. And you can invest in stocks, bonds, exchange traded funds, mutual funds, CDs. So you have an incredible uh, amount of flexibility with investments in these accounts. And, and the reason we're bringing this one up first also is that a custodial account can typically receive checks made payable to the child. 
So that's a common problem. Sometimes people have a newborn child or a young child and they'll have a first birthday party and somebody well-meaning will write a check payable to a child that doesn't even have a social security number yet. And you're not sure what to do with that check. And it can create a little bit of uh, a challenges with your, with your bank. So having an account in the name of the child solves that problem very easily. One of the considerations about this type of an account is, as you said a, mo a few moments ago, the account is the kid's money. It's underneath their social security number. And once you put the money there, it must be used for the benefit of that child. So a quick example, if you have a few different kids, you have three kids and you're just trying to put money away for college to save for college for all of your kids into one general fund. If you put that money into a custodial account, it's not going to get the job done because you're just giving it to that one child and you cannot use it. So what you're saying is kids. if you have three kids and you think, oh, I'll just put one account in the name of my oldest child, that's that child's money. It's not pooled family money. You should, you should at least have an account for each specific child to get that job done. You can't co-mingle and have multiple beneficiaries of that one account. That's, that, is that what you're trying to get at? Yes. Yeah, another consideration is that this money will be legally that child's when they become 18 or 21, depending on the state. Depending on their level of responsibility at that age that money's going to be theirs and they're going to have full access to it at that time. And they may or may not be ready for it. Right. They may not be responsible enough. They may not, they may not do what you intended <laughs> with that money. Um, and so that's a consideration in some cases. So if you, you, you may not want to put a gigantic amount of money into a custodial account until you really know how responsible that child is. The most common goal really when people are trying to put money away for their children is to fund higher education. And the most popular form of a fund or of an account to fund higher education has become what's called the 529 plan. And so the trivia on this is in 1996, Section 529 was added to the Internal Revenue Code. And what that did is it established these types of college savings plans. And so what these 529 plans are is they're an account specifically designed to save for college education. These accounts are not typically owned by the child. They are, they are under the control of a custodian. So if you're going to open the account, if you're the parent, if you're the grandparent, and you're going to open up a 529 for a child, that child is a beneficiary of that account. They're a named beneficiary of that 529 plan. But you, the person who's creating the account and controlling the account, you are technically the owner of that asset. And you can change that beneficiary anytime you want. Another feature to keep in mind is that each state in the United States has their own plan. So Dan, some, what are some of the benefits of a 529 plan? The real main benefit is the tax benefit. They grow tax-free, and when you pull the money out for uh, qualified college expenses, it comes out tax-free as well. So it's a very tax-efficient vehicle for saving for college. As we mentioned earlier, the other thing is that if you've overfunded a 529, unlike a custodial account, 
you can actually change the beneficiary on a, an account and Correct. let the remainder of the money flow to a sibling or another grandchild or somebody else, or even back to the parent if they're going back to school for any reason. It creates that much more flexibility. Now, on the other hand, 529s come with some limitations. Plans only have a limited menu. If you're looking for a lot of flexibility, this plan may not be what you're looking for. So a 529 plan, you're not going to be trading stocks. You're not going to buy an individual position in, in, your, in any specific fund. You're going to have whatever that plan offers. And that's going to be a menu typically from one mutual fund company or one investment company. And that's probably it. Um, they have typically a wide array of choices, but you're not going to be able to say, I want a Vanguard fund and a Fidelity fund and a different kind of fund. And I want to have a little bit of Apple stock. And you can't be active in these plans. Generally, you can only make two trades a year. Yeah, in these types of plans. It's designed as a set it and forget it. So if you're looking to trade or take advantage of market movements and be very active in this account, you're going to be very disappointed that you don't have that flexibility. Now, what we see a lot is people choosing inside 529 plans. One of the more popular choices is what what we, we see anyway is what's called an age-based fund, which is basically a portfolio, a fund of funds, if you will, that starts out more aggressive when the child is first born because they have a longer time frame, 18 years, till they're going to need that money. And then gradually, as that child ages, the portfolio will gradually get more and more conservative so that you have less uncertainty as that child goes into high school and has a shorter time frame. So that's a consideration. It's like hitting the easy button where you can kind of set it and forget it. Right. They're just designed to be something more passive, but you do get some tax benefits and you do have some flexibility of beneficiary. And, and so that's, that's a good thing with these 529 plans. A couple of just administrative things with these 529 plans though that some people may not realize and this is important if if what you're trying to get is the the maximum benefits from the 529 one of them is is that we mentioned that the owner of the 529 plan is typically typically the parent or grandparent that starts the account and funds the account the custodian they're the ones in control of that money however if one sets up a 529 plan with custodial money of the type, like you transfer the money from the custodial account at the bank, that money was in the name of the child's social security number that would require the 529 plan to be in the social security number of the child. The child would be the owner and the beneficiary of the money at that point. Even though the parent or grandparent is controlling that account, in that case, if you cross the streams, so to speak, using the Ghostbusters reference, and you're commingling this money that was in the name of the child, this 529 plan could indeed become owned by that child at age 18 or 21. So that is very important. If you are looking to control those funds, the deposits and the registration of the 529 need to come from people other than the child themselves. And a parent may lose the ability to transfer to another child those funds if there are any excess available. Yeah. So you got to just pay attention to those little details there. Another important thing is to be sure to appoint 
a successor custodian. If it's mom right now, then maybe dad needs to be the successor so that if something happens to mom, everything continues smoothly. Okay, a lesser lesser known or, or maybe less popular type of account for benefit of children is something called a Coverdell Education Savings Account. That used to be called an Education IRA, but they changed the name back in 2002. So what is this? This is similar to a 529 plan in that it is designed specifically to set money aside for education expenses. There is a named custodian, typically a parent, who's responsible for managing the account. And the child is a named beneficiary. So, so far sounds very similar to the 529 plan. Like a 529 plan, the tax benefits are great. You have tax-free growth on the money. And when you pull out the money for educational purposes, it's also tax-free. Another really nice benefit is this money can be used for K through 12 plus college education. So it's uh, much more flexible and it also has more investment flexibility uh, because this type of an account can be held at a brokerage. Firm. Right. So, so this is the account where if you have an account, say at Charles Schwab, and you want to buy a little bit of that Apple stock and you want to cherry pick your investments with more flexibility, this kind of account provides you with that level of investment flexibility. Um, and, and you can still change the beneficiary too. So it, you can use a one Coverdell potentially for multiple children. Yeah, but the real downside with this account is you can only contribute up to $2,000 per year. So if you're looking at trying to create an account that's going to, you're trying to funnel several thousand dollars of money into this thing, you're only able to put $2,000 a year in, and it may not be an effective an account just because you can't get enough money into it. Yeah, this, this may done. be the account to just scratch the itch to maybe try to do a little more active investing or something specific. You really want to have the child own something else other than what's available in a 529 plan. This might be something like that. I mean, typically we see people just go with the custodial account, the Utma Ugma accounts for that kind of thing on the side anyway. But the Coverdell, um, this doesn't become the child's when they turn 18 or 21. So you've got this balance of features and benefits for these different types of accounts. Is control a more of a priority? Then maybe a Coverdell or a 529 is going to make more sense. If investment flexibility is a priority, then it might be Coverdell and custodial account. If it's tax is your priority, then it's probably going to be a, a 529 and or Coverdell. So these are all just... Those are basically those are the three basic types of accounts. You could have an Utma Ugma slash custodial account. The vocabulary is maddening because you should just have to call it one thing, but that's the way it is. You've got five twenty nine plans, and then you have Coverdell education savings accounts. So those are the three types of accounts. But there are some other things when you're looking to. We see this when people are looking to do something for their children. As advisors, we're looking at the overall picture of the entire family situation. And so we sometimes see some things where if it's not considered, not thought about in advance, you can create maybe some friction. So one of the big ones is should the grandparent be the custodian? A lot of times we'll have a grandparent in a situation where they want to do something for the grandkids. Out of the goodness of their heart, they want to do something for the grandkids and they'd like it to be money to be invested. 
I guess the question on the table sometimes is, should they open the account and fund and control and manage all those accounts for all their grandchildren? Or should it be the parents, which is the, their kids, who now are taking care of the things for the grandkids? We've had grandparents talking about, and they've mentioned this to us on several occasions, hey, my adult children are busy people, and I want to try to make things easy for them. So I want to set these accounts up because they're just so busy. The other thing sometimes is that maybe the grandparent wants to do something nice for the grandkids, but they don't trust the parents to be responsible enough to manage the account well, and control becomes a little bit of an issue where the grandparents want to control the situation. But with that control, that can create friction in those family relationships. So like we've said in prior episodes, you need to be communicating early and often and have open lines of communication when you start talking about financial things within a family unit. If you have a grandparent owning these things, as they get older, their mental faculties may start to fail. They may be forgetful about why these accounts exist or that they even own them. And in a situation like that, you may have the real possibility where grandma or grandpa are in charge of all of this money that's going to be used for their grandchildren. Grandma and grandpa's adult children don't have access to that money to help pay the tuition bills. Now, grandma and grandpa become a potential roadblock into taking care of their grandkids' college expenses and paying tuition bills. Yeah, at the very least, if you have multiple grandchildren and you're wanting to handle all these college savings accounts, at the very least, it's going to increase the volume of mail you're getting and the amount of complexity into your financial life. One thing we've seen over and over again is that as people are retired and as they age, they do not crave complexity. They do not crave extra mail and it simply adds stress to their life. So if you're a grandparent, it may be wiser just to have your children do the heavy lifting and you write the check payable to the plan. That may be the simplest answer in the long run. I know that doesn't work for everybody, but that's probably what's easiest on the family over time. Another consideration with grandparents owning these plans and managing these plans is as they accumulate them for the grandkids over many years, they may look back and find that, oh my gosh, I've got five grandkids and each of them have different account balances. And there could be this inequity between your various grandkids just based on how investments have performed. And we've seen that also where they may have even funded the accounts equally originally, but we've seen a situation where one grandchild was invested in a different portfolio than another. So even though they got the same money, as time went on and these kids became of age, a brother and sister had a drastically different amount of money. And it's something that the grandparents never really thought, oh, I need to make sure if my intent is to have everything be identical when those children reach a certain age, then you really need to make sure everything's identical. Every single thing's identical. Not only the amount of money you've put in and when you put it in, but what they were invested in would be identical. And that can become quite complicated with more children, and it can be quite complicated over time as they grow up and as they age and, and whatnot. So this seems like a simple thing. You're just going to do something nice and send some money to the kids. 
it's also a real good reason why you may want to just send money down to the to your children and let your children handle whatever's best for their children and just decentralize all that complexity and all those decisions. And just as a side note, we've seen situations where grandparents, they have grandkids from one child, but then they have a child that does not have grandkids. And there's sometimes been a concern of, well, am I, you know, I've got three kids and two of them have, have provided grandchildren and one of them hasn't. Am I leaving my childless child out of the mix by then doing something for the grandkids? And that's just something else to consider when you're looking at the family dynamic. Now, there's another area that's important to consider as well. If you are a parent, typically it's the parents. People will call us up and they say, okay, we want to we want to do a financial planning. And oftentimes the first priority that our client will have, this is a younger client with children. They're doing their first financial plan. Oftentimes their first priority is the children. Setting money aside to pay for their future college. Yes. That's the number one goal that that couple has. Sometimes that's fine. And sometimes that can uh, be backwards or actually create risk in the financial plan. What we mean, what do we mean by that? If you're totally fixated on the goal of saving for your children, sometimes that can be to the detriment of not only your own financial well-being, which some people are like, hey, I'll make the sacrifice. I want to do something for my kids. But it could also put your kids at risk. And people don't think about this. We've seen people where they want to contribute to a college savings plan, but they're still not living beneath their means. That means you're going to have financial problems spending more money than, you, than is coming in. You need to be living well beneath your means as a step one. Another thing is you need to make sure you have enough insurance in place to cover whatever burdens may come if that unlikely yet large impact event happens, whether you become disabled and cannot work. Is there long-term disability income insurance to provide continuing take-home pay so that you can continue to feed those children? Or God forbid something happens where you, you die in an accident prematurely. Is there enough life insurance to make sure that those children and that your family is sheltered and fed and well cared for during the remainder of their childhood, it's very, very important that you don't over-prioritize saving for college and then you completely don't even fund things that could be a disaster in their lives. We've also seen some situations where people are putting so much money in their children's name, but their retirement is completely underfunded and now they're going to end up being destitute or in a real pickle when they become retired. They're just not, not, they're going to be living on social security. That can be a problem. And, and I understand the, the motivation here. You're, you're thinking, I, I got to do something for the kids. I got to do something for the kids. I mean, it's a very powerful, motivating thing. It's so powerful that we've seen it here in Illinois, where if you need legislation passed for a new tax or a new tollway or something like that, it's almost always for the children. It's will go to the schools. And it's, it's a very powerful, motivating factor to do nice things for children. That being said, Recognize how the system works. In 2021, right now, when we're recording this, every child who goes to college usually goes through a process where they apply for financial aid through a website. And the, the acronym is FAFSA, F-A-F-S-A, the Federal Application for Student Aid. The way that system currently works is it 
looks at the entire family financial situation, child's money, 529 plans, parent money, even 529 plans where the parents aren't the owners. If that child's a beneficiary of a 529, they have to disclose that. They're looking at the parent's income. They're looking at their parents' assets and their balance sheet, how much money is in their retirement accounts, their IRAs, joint accounts. They're going to look at all of that. And if your end goal is to fund a child's education, one thing to understand is that if there's a lot of money in the name of the child or for the benefit of the child in these three types of accounts, Coverdell, 529, custodial, FAVSA is going to apply a formula to capture more of the child's assets than the parent's assets. Ironically, the more money that is in the child's name, the greater the chance is that that child's going to have to pay more for their college and get less aid from those colleges. Now, what's interesting here is we were talking a few minutes ago about funding your own retirement. If you've been underfunding your 401k plan, or your IRA, or your Roth IRA, so that you can put money in your child's name for their college, what you're doing is you may be actually getting a situation where you're increasing the potential out-of-pocket cost of college for that child. However, if you've properly funded your IRA, your Roth IRA, your 401k, to whatever extent you can, and there's a little less money, FAFSA cannot come after your retirement accounts. Those types of accounts are exempt from your responsibility as a parent to pay for that college expense. So there's a chance, depending on your income, that you may end up with a little more financial aid availability from those colleges. So just be aware that sometimes your good intentions may not yield the exact result or the optimal result that you may be looking for. Sounds like you got a plan ahead. You really do. I mean, it, it seems so simple. I open an account, I write a check, I put it in, job done. And if you're a parent, and you take some time and you, you think these things through and you set up some accounts and you have a strategy for your children, that makes it easier for other people to give that you already have a plan in place. You can go talk to your parents or your grandparents and uncles and say, hey, we set up this 529 plan account. If you want to give money to your nieces and nephews and grandchildren, write a check to 529 account and right. we'll get it invested. Right. I mean, if you're the parent, take charge and, and think these things through and, and think about what's going to be best in your opinion for your family situation. It's totally fine to do things that's different than your neighbors, different than your friends, different than what an article you read in a magazine. But if you know a little bit about the features and benefits and limitations of each of these types of accounts, custodial accounts, 529 accounts, and covered all education savings accounts, and you've given that thought to what are the end game priorities here? Are, is this, this is just a piece of the puzzle of your financial plan. You've got to also think of caring for those children while, you know, before they go to college. Whether you're around or not, you got to balance all these priorities. And we wrestle with this all the time when, when planning with folks. You've got five goals that you want to optimize and you only have enough money to fund 4.5 of them. How do you balance that out? And that's always a, a, a takes a little bit of time, a little discussion to figure out what's most important and what's most probable and what's most impactful. As simple as we'd all like this to be, sadly, the answer is usually, well, it depends. <laughs> and so... 
with that, we'll, we hope we've added some level of clarity and not confused you too much. But uh, if you have further questions on this topic, you can absolutely reach out to us. We're at Fierce Fiduciary on all social media. You can find Brian, me, Brian C. Beasley on social media. And, and Dan Albert is on, is at Facebook? Yes. At Dan Albert. Or you can find us in the Facebook group called Investing in Financial Planning. Feel free to direct message either one of us or apply to, to join that group. It's a private group. And uh, we can answer questions inside of that group as well for and maybe benefit other people. And so until next time. Once again, thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please share it with your friends. Please subscribe. Please like. Please comment. Please find us on social media. We are at Fierce Fiduciary. You can also Google Fierce Fiduciary Podcast and find us anywhere. Dan, you're at from Facebook. I'm on Facebook at Dan Alberth. Dan Alberth, and I am at Brian C Beasley on most platforms. We also participate in some Facebook groups. If you're looking to have a deeper conversation there about various things, there's a group called Investing for Beginners. And then Dan and I host a group called Investing and Financial Planning that provides some educational and learning material. So once again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.